friends, Emily here, your host of The Missing Piece. Each week we discuss a new topic in fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and just overall healthy living in the hopes that you'll find the missing piece to your lifestyle. If it's your first episode, welcome to the podcast, and if you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to The Missing Piece. I'm your host, Emily. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're a longtime listener, thanks for tuning in with us. Today, we are going to be talking about a little bit of movement mechanics, a little bit of science. Uh, We're going to be talking about the core and different ways to practice bracing um, and reducing injury and things like that throughout everyday life and our workouts. So let's get into it. A few weeks ago, we talked about trainers who are continually coming up with the latest and greatest exercises and how we need to get back to the basics and really focus on the fundamentals of movement. Doing the basics well is how we're able to both measure and make progress. If we're continually switching up our program or hopping between trainers for recommendations or coaching, we never actually stick with one plan long enough to see results. This can be seen as a ton of difficult workouts and seemingly minimal results in comparison. You can be crushing yourself each and every workout, but if they never get progressively more difficult, you're missing out on progress that could potentially be made along the way. This concept is called progressive overload. It means to continually challenge yourself in new and different ways, but in a planned and organized fashion so that over time we are able to make and see that progress. But to successfully implement progressive overload and ensure we're planning workouts in a way that ensures success, instead of thinking in terms of muscles, we need to start thinking in terms of movements. That's what this next series is going to be about. It won't necessarily be consecutive weeks, but in the six episodes of Movement Mechanics, I'm going to bring a little bit more science to our typical podcast. We'll talk about each movement pattern and reframe the traditional thinking around the muscles to think about the body in the context of movements and a collection of parts that all feed into and off of one another. Before we get into this first week, this is definitely a series I would recommend checking out both the podcast and the article on my website that's associated with it. Sometimes seeing the pictures of the information is helpful as well as hearing about it. We're going to go a little bit more in depth on the information as we discuss it here on the podcast but then all the pictures and different visuals, videos, exercises, everything like that is going to be in the article. So you can check those out on emilymeyerfitness.com. Without further ado, let's get into our first movement, or for this week, lack thereof movement, as we talk about the core. As we look at the body in terms of movements, it's only natural to begin with the center of these movements, the core. A couple of weeks ago, I was coaching members through a core workout. We're doing some of the exercises we'll talk about here, and they aren't traditional exercises. They aren't your crunches or your sit-ups or your Russian twists or anything like that. And one of the members asked, can't we just do some Russian twists or something? Throughout the course of this podcast, we're going to examine the musculature of the core, talk about why bracing and even breathing is crucially important to lowering injury risk and transferring energy through the body. Finally, we'll touch on a few suggestions for building proper strength and control through our core. Our core is the pillar for the beginning of all movement. It includes not only our abdominals or those six-pack that we think of, but all muscles that connect our hips, torso, and shoulders. We have to work to reframe our thinking from that of 
core equals six pack, and think about it in terms of the core as the stabilizing pillar. In terms of musculature, the core includes the rectus abdominis, so that's our six pack, the transverse abdominis, the two on our sides of the stomach, they run parallel to the ground, obliques, which are diagonal and underneath the transverse abdominis, our intercostals between our ribs, and the posterior core, the erector spinae along the spine of our back, the QL in our lower back, and it also extends to the stabilizers of the shoulders and the hips. But we won't dive too deeply into that on the podcast. Like I said, check out the blog for a picture. Sometimes that's a little bit easier to visualize. By first maintaining control and building strength through our core, we lower the risk of potential injury and create more efficient movement of energy transfer through the body. So let's break down both of these. First up, we have lowering the risk of injury. This is true in both a workout and everyday life. Think about carrying gallons of milk from the car into the house. While one of my clients says he carries three in one hand, I maybe would suggest a different way. As we carry an object, it wants to pull us to the side in which we are holding it. So if it's in our right hand, it wants to bring us to that side. With a strong and braced core, we're able to resist that movement. By bracing, it keeps the spine in a stable position and protects the muscles from the core and from undergoing a severe twisting or pulling movement that may injure or just tweak our back. We simulate this in the gym with exercises such as carry variations. By carrying dumbbells or kettlebells in a variety of positions, we train our bodies to maintain a proper posture, breathing, and bracing, as well as movement mechanics to transfer into these everyday situations like carrying groceries into the house. However, this isn't just seen in carrying objects, even though that's a practical example. We can lower the risk of injury and discomfort throughout the day by simply maintaining proper posture. Many of the cues to bring yourself into the braced position are those in which we should maintain and hold throughout the day. For example, keeping the pelvis neutral instead of tilted forward, as many of us have the tendency to do, relieves pressure on the lower back. This is especially true for those of us who have a desk job and sit most of the day. It's more natural for the body to stand, or better yet, combining standing and seated positions. In both of these, either seated or standing, it's more biomechanically safe to maintain that neutral position with our pelvis. Last year, we saw this when a company I worked for installed sit-stand desks for all the employees. People were sick of sitting all day, and when they got to their desk, they immediately went to standing all day. They saw different discomforts instead of those that were just caused by seated, but it wasn't only in their feet from supporting the weight. Most often, we answered questions about those who had lower back pain, and when we did posture analyses, 9 out of 10 people had their pelvis tilted forward in their normal standing position. Over time, we worked with these people to maintain a more correct posture as they were standing, and we saw a decrease in the complaints of lower back pain. We saw even more of this as people stood on the Simply Fit boards. If you aren't familiar, it's a curved board that you balance on. With a balance and a twisting component, it's marketed as an ab workout, albeit a not very effective one, but nonetheless. However, in order to move more throughout the day, many of the employees bought them. Since they were not used to engaging and bracing their core in a neutral position, the instability caused an even greater tilt of the pelvis and soreness in the lower back. Even I tested one for a day and I noticed the same thing. When I wasn't actively thinking about it, my pelvis tilted and my lower back was sore. For this reason, I would caution against using these balance boards to stand on for long periods of time. That's not what they're meant for. 
There's a limit, or correct ratio, so to speak, between seated and standing and how much we should look to move throughout the day, especially as you're getting used to it. If you want to stand and move more, but you right now sit the entire time at your office, start with small walks every 30 to 45 minutes. This can just be down the hall or to get a drink of water. It might start with 10 or 15 minutes standing and then going back to seated. Each time we stand, we want to make sure that we're maintaining good posture. We don't want to favor one side or the other. But it isn't about correcting posture all the time. While it made a big difference in the employees that are standing all day, most people will have slight nuances in their posture that will always be there. What's most important is that we correct or compensate for these misalignments as we move through loaded exercises and movements like carrying groceries or squatting in the gym. So if we're thinking in terms of movements instead of muscles, with the core being the center of these movements, how does proper core control aid in energy transfer for the rest of the body? To understand how the core functions and the energy and movement transfer throughout the body, we have to look back at the musculature. So we touched on the fact that there are many layers of muscles around the abdominal wall, and the core doesn't just mean the abs, it's all of the muscles of the torso, including those stabilizing muscles of the shoulders and the hips. These muscles all work together to optimize human movement. When a dysfunction, such as a lack of contraction or weakness in a specific muscle occurs, the body will recruit a nearby muscle to compensate for that weakness temporarily. However, the issue lies when we allow these compensatory muscles to continue to be used over the long term. A specific example involving the core may be when we're not properly breathing into the diaphragm to brace the core, the inner core will not be properly activated. To make up for it, the body will rely on larger exterior muscles, such as the various muscles of the hips and the hamstrings, to stabilize the core to a greater degree than they're usually used for. While all of these muscles play a role, it's important to recognize to what degree they should support the stabilization of the core. This is complex and outside the scope of what we'll talk about in the podcast, but it's just an important thing to keep in mind. If we are compensating with these exterior muscles outside the scope of their normal use, they're then not able to perform to the optimal capacity within the movements that do require them. Let's look at the hamstrings as an example. While they do play a part in the stabilization of the core, they primarily function in extending the hip and flexing the knee, like in a deadlift. As their quote-unquote attention, so to speak, is focused on the stabilization of the core, they may fatigue easier and become prone to injuries. Now, it's not impossible to accomplish both of these actions, but the average person's hamstring is simply not able to do both successfully. For this reason, we have to make sure the core is properly braced with the primary muscles that should assist so that other muscles are able to perform to their full capacity in other areas, activities of daily life, and exercises in the gym. We'll touch on breathing in a moment, more in depth, but it's the foundation of core function and performance. Without proper breathing, we cannot optimally activate and sequence. In other words, the muscles of the inner core must activate before those of the outer core. Both of these must occur in order to maintain a properly braced and stabilized position through any movement that we do. For an example of this, we can think about sprinters. As we watch an elite sprinter, we'll notice very little movement in their belly button region, but at the same time, 
their limbs move to propel the sprinter forward. It's in this way, with a stable base of the core, it allows for optimal energy transfer to the limbs of the body for exercise and movement in general. So how else do we build this strength and control? Why aren't sit-ups and Russian twists the best options? Although the first core exercise that comes to mind might be crunches, it starts even simpler than that, and we already touched on this briefly. We have to breathe properly. We breathe every single day. It's an essential to the continuation of life. But do we breathe correctly? Most people, instead of fully breathing into the stomach, will unintentionally take shallow breaths into their chest. These are seen when we breathe as the chest rising and expanding, but the stomach always stays the same. To properly take in a full breath, we have to focus on pushing our lower abs out as we fill this space with air. As the diaphragm expands downward with an inhale through the nose, the lungs fill completely with air. We exhale and the stomach returns to normal as the diaphragm returns to its original position. By learning proper breathing and practicing in a relaxed and unloaded position with exercises such as crocodile breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, we're then able to transfer this proper technique into our second step, bracing. Once we have mastered or are in the process of mastering breathing, in any exercise you do, focus on bracing. Bracing is the practice of increasing pressure within the core and engaging the muscles of the entire core, not only our abdominals, to create a stable pillar. The four walls of this pillar include the diaphragm on the top, the abdominals on the front, the posterior core musculature on the back, and then the muscles of the pelvic floor on the bottom. The easiest way to brace properly is think about how you would react if someone were to punch you in the stomach. You wouldn't just suck in. You'd brace for impact by drawing all of the muscles inward. This is the position you should start with during nearly all exercises. Once braced, the body will be primed to execute the movement in both a safe and effective way. During a set, if we notice the loss of bracing, simply pause and reset. Focus our attention on the core and creating that stable pillar. Once properly braced, move back into the exercise. Some exercises to practice bracing in a stable position include planks, bear crawl holds, or even hanging hollow body holds. And after you're comfortable bracing in this static position, try then focusing extra attention to bracing during your next workout or even carrying groceries from the car into the house. Once we practice bracing in that static position, we continue to practice bracing in dynamic or moving positions as well as maintaining a brace position in response to external movement. It's important to note that all exercises should be progressively made more difficult. We have to do the first steps. We have to do the breathing and the static bracing first before we progress to more dynamic movements and incorporating movements that train the resistance of flexion from a variety of directions. Some of these more advanced exercises may include an ab rollout. It allows for the practice of the resistance to a forward arch of the spine and allowing the core to disengage as the hips tilt forward. A deadlift resists movements of the spine to arch backwards, potentially causing injury to multiple areas of the back. Carry variations, like we were talking about earlier, aid in resisting the movement from side to side. And finally, perhaps the most complex, twisting variations such as cable chops and landmines allow for the practice of rotary stability. By controlling breathing and maintaining a properly braced position, 
we're able to protect the body from injury and transfer energy through the body for a variety of movements. So why can't we just do some Russian twists or something in order to properly train the core? Simply put, it's not the most effective exercise, and when done incorrectly, has the high potential for injury. The lumbar spine, or lowest section, is only able to rotate 10 to 15 degrees. This, combined with the reclined position of a Russian twist, puts the section of the spine in a vulnerable position. Twisting only exacerbates this, especially when you use heavier weights such as medicine balls, as many people do during a Russian twist. Instead, focus on those exercises that either resist an external force, such as a Palaf press, or those that utilize the entire body to move and twist a weight, such as a cable chop. This allows the lumbar spine to remain in a safe position while the more mobile sections of the spine are able to twist and energy is transferred. So to finally answer the question, no, we cannot simply do a Russian twist or something in order to properly learn and practice bracing the core while building core strength through static and dynamic movements. We have to recognize the body and the exercises in terms of movement instead of in terms of muscles. When we think in this way, we're better able to perform exercises for optimal function, not only those exercises that may feel as if they're working in the moment. All right, that's all I have for you guys this week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Missing Piece. Like I said, there'll be five more movement mechanics series to come, so I look forward to breaking down each of the major movement patterns with you guys over the course of the next couple weeks or so. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye!